0: Hey there, security peeps, it's Brent Houston. It's time for another episode of State of Security Podcast. So let's see, today's State of Security Podcast is brought to you by Machine Truth. Machine Truth is a revolutionary new tool by Microsoft Inc., and it's designed to help folks uh, perform passive network mapping, analysis, and to some extent, even passive threat intelligence based on network configuration and network data. No hardware or software to deploy. It's a completely passive, 100% offline, analytics-based solution. So if you're interested in that, check it out at www.MachineTruth.com. That's www.machinetruth.net. All right. Well, now that we got that out of the way, let's uh, move on to today's content. So let's see. It is a beautiful day here in Columbus, Ohio. I am sitting outside. So this is a great outdoor podcast recording. You know, those are my favorites. Those of you who have been listening for a while. And some of the sounds you may hear in the background i 'm sitting outside near a fountain, so you may hear some running water out there, maybe some birds and Just before I came out here and sat down and got settled, uh, I watched a deer wander through the through the back space here so uh, today, I am not in the honorable michael radigan studio i 'm out and about, but uh, wanted to take time to record this podcast for you, my listeners. So as always, I I really appreciate you tuning in to listen and, and uh, hear what's going on. And this is a special episode. Uh, today I'm going to talk through uh, several questions around blockchain. Now, <clears throat> excuse me, these questions, they came from a set of presentations that I've uh, been giving in the last couple of months. And these are some of the questions that are pulled from the audience that I didn't have a chance to answer. So some of them may have a little slight uh, out-of-context experience for some of you, but I'll try to, uh, I'll try to answer that and, and weave that in so that it's part of the, the answer to make it uh, make more sense. And uh, I've got a few questions here, so let's, uh, let's just jump in. Without further ado, I am uh, I'm drinking some fantastic peppermint coffee from Silverbridge uh, down in Pomeroy, Ohio. Uh, They are not a sponsor of this podcast, just a product that I really enjoy, and I urge you to check them out. Great, great coffees made here in the heartland. All right, let's jump right in. Question number one comes from Lisa L. Lisa says, Why do you believe that blockchain will be a significant part of future business processes beyond cryptocurrency? So this is pretty interesting. A couple of things. Uh, I do believe that cryptocurrency is going to drive blockchain adoption at the edges of business, i.e. eventually most businesses, especially those who do business internationally, uh, are likely going to embrace cryptocurrency in some form, both due to customer demand and due to the lower costs of banking that uh, I believe will eventually come into play there. Now, right now, the cost of cryptocurrency, uh, some some cryptocurrency transactions is fairly high, but uh, I believe that will eventually get standardized out. And uh, then as organizations start to embrace it, and customer demand drives it at the edges, I think you'll see it like any other currency platform, like credit cards or uh, EDI, or any of these other uh, payment and transaction platforms that that are there. So I do think cryptocurrency is going to play a role in that. But outside of cryptocurrency, Lisa, this is an interesting question. I do think that blockchain has a significant role to play outside of cryptocurrency. And primarily, I think that's really in two functions. One, I think it's in supply chain. So I do believe that supply chain, blockchain types of uh, implementations are likely to come to bear in most industries, particularly in industries where identification of different parts uh, down to their origin and their tracing and tracking through the supply chain, uh, like Diamonds, for example, in in the De Beers uh, blockchain example. I, I think that is a strong example, and I think wherever you've got the need to have origin of parts tra- uh, trackability, uh, you've got supply chain handling trackability, Uh, I think uh, all of that is going to fit nicely into supply chain blockchains. Um, The other thing I think about that is that smart contracts have a big role to play here in supply chain blockchains. Because I think uh, just like EDI brought a huge optimization to the supply chain, Uh, which used to be a manual paper based process and and EDI electronic document interchange uh, back in the eighties and nineties, optimized that process and and made that an electronic and digital process. Uh, I, I think that uh, smart contracts will have uh, the same effect on uh, blockchain implementations in the supply chain. So, um, I, I think that's one of the biggest roles there. I think we'll see that uh, probably in the next, you know, I, I'm i optimistic, I would say probably in the next five years, you'll start to see the real pushes there. And, and my guess is within a decade, uh, this will be a standard optimized uh, process based on some form of blockchain, whether that's Ethereum or not, I don't know, but some form of blockchain and some form of smart contract. So, uh I hope that answers your question, Lisa. All right. Next question. Thomas R says, "Do you invest in crypto personally, and if so, what coins?" Uh, well, I don't I don't know that I want to get into my personal investment holdings uh beyond this. I, I I'll I'll say um uh, first of all, Thomas, thanks for asking. Uh, I think it's interesting that that uh, folks are are that interested in in it. But um, I am not a person who necessarily believes that cryptocurrency was designed to be a store of value. So I know that it's a religious war uh, that's going on inside of the cryptocurrency uh, communities, but. My own personal feeling is that it was designed as a platform for transaction and for the exchange of value. Um, now that said, I, I, I believe just like any other currency, there are people who will do currency-based investment, and that will do uh, you know all kinds of the variants of of currency trading that occurs in fiat currencies. I believe those markets are probably somewhat viable, Uh, albeit, personally, I would be a little fearful of the volatility in the current crypto market. But I understand that, uh, you know, that a lot of folks would wish to trade uh, and uh, invest in cryptocurrencies in a similar fashion. So I choose not to do that. Uh, Personally, I'm a more conservative investor. Than that, but uh, I certainly see the viability of that as a as a market. In the same way that I see fiat currency trading and fiat currency uh, investment strategies in the in the physical world, uh, I see those same things applying to crypto. So uh, I hope that wasn't too much of a dodge, Thomas. I don't want to get into my personal holdings, but. Um, I, I do think, um, my answer applies to your question. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. That was awesome. Uh, next Tommy H who's from Cincinnati, Tommy H Cincinnati. He, uh, says you talked about machine learning against blockchain data as a threat. Why should it teams worry about it? Uh, I don't know that it's so much a worry as it is something to be aware of. When I talk about the threat of applied machine learning to blockchain uh, data, I'm really talking about machine learning being applied in a competitive sense, right? So um, one of the caveats here about blockchains is it makes transactions by its very nature, it makes transactions transparent to those who participate in the chain. That's one of its core tenets and core values. Um, As such, it creates a situation where data that used to be considered private, proprietary, you probably don't release to your competitors and everyone else the transaction data that you do, that data now becomes, to some extent, Albeit it might be tokenized, it, it might even be anonymized to some extent. Um, but in most cases, it exposes that out to the people who participate in the chain. Now, I believe that there's a competitive advantage to performing analysis on that data and bringing it into machine learning environment in order to train systems around that data. So training systems around that data allows, potentially allows a competitor or uh, someone else to obtain significantly more data about the transactions and the business flow of your organization than was likely previously possible. And so that's why I think, if you think about it at a holistic level taking data that used to be internal proprietary data and now putting that out in the world, I don't think it's necessarily IT's function to think about what are the impacts of that. But I think as IT starts to embrace embrace blockchain, certainly I think internal controllers and information security professionals and legal teams should be looking at how that data could be used against you. And certainly that should include what happens if someone models that data with machine learning tools? What could they predict? What could they learn from it? And what damage could that do potentially to our business? Um, So I think that's really why I see that as a threat. I I think think that's coming. I mean, we know that uh, adversarial machine learning Uh, is being used. We've seen evidence of that uh, publicly in different uh, forms in the marketplace, particularly at the nation-state level. And I would assume as that capability gets cheaper and cheaper and more achievable and more achievable, we're going to see that uh, come into bear on an even uh, smaller scale, which could impact just about any size business. So something to think about. Great question, Tommy from Cincinnati. I hope you're, uh, I hope you're satisfied with the answer. And uh, I'm going to move on to the next question. All right. Question number four comes from Karen T. Karen T. I'm an IT manager for a very small manufacturer, but we make auto parts for a large car company. Do you think we will be forced to use blockchain in the next 24 months? So, okay, a couple of things. Um, number one, 24 months is a pretty tight time frame uh, in most of these large-scale commercial enterprises. So, uh, if you're not already feeling pressure, or or you're the your your large scale client is not already putting pressure on you to do blockchain in 24 months, um, I think you'll start to feel that pressure in the 24 to 36 month timeframe. As I understand it, a lot of these car manufacturers, auto manufacturers uh, are starting to really uh, look at blockchain and leverage blockchain data. Certainly the MOBI standard uh, is out there, MOBI, MOBI standard. Um, That's looking very interesting. It's not supply chain centric. It's really more store of value uh, in your automobile and using your automobile for uh, a payment system, a wallet, a carrier of value, um, as well as allowing the car companies access to all that very lucrative uh, payment data Uh, and consumer behavior data that they would love to have. Uh, But that's an aside. Uh, In terms of the auto supply chain, do I think that that will happen? I do. I'm not sure 24 months is the case. Uh, I would guess more in the three to five year time frame. And again, I think like everybody else, as I said earlier, 10 years from now, we're going to look back and blockchain is going to be the uh, sort of the operational standard for supply chains and, and parts origination and process tracking, um, particularly where consensus is involved. So, um, I think I think those things are are true. Uh, Karen, I I don't know that 24 months is necessarily actionable, but I do believe that's coming in the short time frame. Um, I certainly would hesitate wouldn't hesitate if I were in your shoes to reach out uh, to folks at that large manufacturer and engage with them and ask what they're considering about blockchain, it certainly wouldn't hurt to get ahead of that rather than uh, play catch up from behind. So that's my feeling, Karen. Uh, good luck to you. I hope uh, I hope that uh, you find that uh, you're doing blockchain uh, right about the time that you want to. So uh, I, th- that's my, my feeling. All right move on to the next question. Larry W. Larry W. asks, can you talk a bit about smart contract security? What should we know about the basics? <laughs> Larry, you you may regret that. Uh, most folks tell me I talk too much about smart contracts and, and about uh, smart contract security, but thank you for asking. I, I greatly appreciate it. Uh, all right, so let's talk about smart contracts for a little bit. So Smart contracts, first of all, what is it? It's a piece of code that uh, represents a set of business logic. And that business logic is the form of a traditional contractual arrangement between parties. And the difference here is instead of that contract being written in legal language, uh, it's written in code. And it's executed inside of a blockchain Ether, today most of this is Ethereum, but in a blockchain environment. And it's executed fairly automatically once the terms and conditions of the contract are met. So there's a few things here in that explanation. The first thing is sort of The odd transition of what used to be the work of attorneys, that is drafting contractual relationships and contractual events between their firm and another party. The the sort of transition from that into that role where a developer, a programmer is going to be responsible as a part of a business process to define that contractual arrangement and to see that that contractual arrangement is executed by the network rather than by the individuals. So right off the bat, I think, I think that's a, a shift that a lot of organizations aren't ready for. Uh, There's a lot of intellectual property. There's a lot of process uh, iteration and, and learning that have happened over the last decades of experience in the legal teams and the legal operational processes in businesses that are now going to have to be translated to some extent into an IT based function. And I think there's, there's a lot of risk there. I, I think um, there are a lot of chances to get a lot of things wrong operationally. Uh, maybe some experience, some knowledge gaps there uh, that, that open us up to potential risk. So right off the bat, I think that's one of the basics. The second piece is really learning about solidity. Uh, This, Solidity, is the language of smart contracts in Ethereum, for example. Most, uh, if not all, contracts are written in Solidity. Solidity is a JavaScript-like language, very readable, but it is application development. Uh, Programming and uh, building one of these smart contracts requires an application development set of skills. Uh, it requires uh, those skills to be maintained, brought up to date. It, it requires the use of a set of security standards to build these things, to make sure that the pieces and functions that need to stay private are private, uh, and the pieces that are need to be functionally tuned and, and apply to really tight business logic uh, or move money in very safe ways, that all of that happens programmatically. And we know from experience that it takes a lot of effort, right? Look at the OWASP effort. It takes a lot of effort to do code securely inside of enterprises. And I don't think smart contracts is, uh, are going to be any different. It's going to require a really strong set of skills and a really heavy lift to build standards and really good processes and peer review and define the secure operations of smart contract based transactions and what that development looks like. So, uh, Larry, that's what I would say about the basics. Start to look at the basics of solidity, start to look and think about how those processes will be defined and built. Uh, there are a lot of of nuances inside of Solidity and inside of the working functions of moving value in Ethereum. Make sure that your team is starting to come up to speed on that because those basics, they take a while and there's a lot as a community that we're still learning in that space as well. So uh, really, that would be my advice. Start looking at those basic blocking and tackling functions. Uh, there are some developing standards that are starting to come out that I think are very good around solidity. There are some solidity uh, you know, tools that are out there for doing security validation and, and audits. Um, for example, MSI does a, a, a smart contract audit service. Uh, getting involved with someone like that to to look at your code templates uh, to look at your different operations, as well as MSI one of the things that we do a lot of these days is blockchain risk assessment the the, the risk assessment piece around implementing blockchain uh, technologies um, and I think that's that 's a significant piece too um, as I think we 'll talk about a little later on I think there 's a question. Uh, that falls in that space. So, um, Larry, I hope that gives you a place to start. All right, question number six comes from John M. John says, you've talked about social engineering attacks increasing due to blockchain data, but I don't get it. Can you explain why blockchain makes social engineering more dangerous? So, uh, John, it's it's not necessarily that I think that blockchain makes social engineering more dangerous it's that i think it makes blockchain uh, blockchain data makes social engineering attacks more effective and this again ties back to that visibility of transaction data and visibility of data that used to be private being exposed to other participants in the blockchain once that data is out there it's it's data that social engineers can study, they can hone their attacks based on. And essentially, I think this applies in two ways. Number one, one of the most common sort of financial defenses against social engineering is this concept of thresholding. So we build thre- you know, transaction thresholds, for example, that says, um, okay, this person normally wires 3500 to $5000 on Tuesdays from this account to this account. And so we set thresholds anytime uh, the the value of a requested transfer is more than 10% over uh, the the $5000 amount that should trigger an extra validation step. So that's thresholding, right? That you're you're thresholding the transaction value and looking for anything outside of the threshold. Now, along comes the social engineer. The social engineer is able to pull the transaction history from the visible blockchain. They're able to uh, perform simple pattern analysis or or maybe even machine learning and what happens? They come up with the same thresholding information that you were using as a control Now that makes their initial attack much more effective. So instead of coming in and trying to move $12,000 on their initial transaction attack, they're going to come in and attempt to move that $5,000 amount, which is the normal usual threshold. And if thresholding is the only control there, they're gonna have broken that control. They'll defeat that control. Why? because they can use the same data to do thresholding that you can do. So this is one of those cases where again, tying back to the previous question, machine learning and looking at an analytics against a lot of this exposed blockchain data gives them a predictive capability. They can see patterns. They can learn about a lot of things that they can then exploit knowledge is the key attack process used in social engineering attacks. And in blockchain, much more knowledge is moved to the participants of the chain than in many traditional forms of operations. So that's kind of why I think blockchain data makes social engineering uh, more effective. I also think uh, there, there are some things going on uh, around machine learning that are starting to enable a a whole new kind of automated social engineering. We've seen the beginnings of that in this robo-calling stuff that you get on your cell phone, but uh, I think it's far bigger than that. Um, And I think the impact of that sort of parallelized, automated social engineering attacks that come in against uh, any stores of value and potentially even against customers pretending to be a firm, a company, an organization in order to gather identity data, um, whether that's sold at market or flipped and used against the company. Um, Either way, I believe that social engineering is about to have a new renaissance, a new amp up. It's about to be taken to the next level uh, as a superpower, if you will. And uh, I believe blockchain is one of those contributing factors along with machine learning uh, around how effective that's going to be. as, John, you probably have heard, I, I've gone on record as saying I believe that automated, parallelized social engineering is likely to be the world's first trillion-dollar criminal ex, uh, enterprise, and I think we'll see that uh, here in the next decade or less. So um, I'll go on record as, as having called that. So thanks very much, John, for your question. I really appreciate it. All right. Moving on to question 7. Harold Harold from Charlotte Harold from Charlotte asks, "I've heard you discuss smart contracts disrupting the legal profession. Can you please explain in more detail why you think this will happen?" So, I think I covered this mostly already, but as you think about smart contracts being built today, Um, as they're being built today, you've got a lot of knowledge, you've got a lot of dependency in the legal profession on building good contracts and strong contracts. And I believe that's going to be disrupted by smart contracts because to some extent, developers, that is programmers and and teams of developers, will be building these smart contracts instead of having an attorney write a physical contract or a contract that exists in, in typical legal format. Um, instead, that's going to be replaced with code. And that code is going to be executed on a blockchain network. And so I think there's going to be a, a great disruption there. There could be a reduction in the in the dependency of business on the legal profession for contract kind of capabilities as well. There's going to be a scramble to transfer some of that knowledge. Uh, down to the developers in the day-to-day operations and the way that we write contracts and what contract terms mean and all of those sorts of things. What happens when someone defaults on a smart contract or um, what's the dispute process? So I think there's going to be a great disruption there in the integration of IT and the legal profession or the legal department inside of large organizations I think that's something that we haven't really seen uh, before they've been siloed away and I think there's they're going to be forced to work together in new ways operationally that represent a significant disruption to the legal practitioners in organizations or supporting organizations so I hope that made sense Harold uh, again go back in the previous part of the of this uh, podcast, and I talk a little bit more about it. All right. Question eight, Cody. Cody says, what should my IT staff and security manager be doing to prepare for blockchain? So I think I've talked a little bit about this already, and that is start to learn about blockchain. Ask your large scale clients what they're doing about blockchain. Get involved. Get people trained on blockchain, smart contracts the solidity language understand the core concepts of blockchain Uh, look at cryptocurrencies how will your organization implement cryptocurrencies if required start to do risk assessment around your systems and the business processes that would be required to bring in blockchain that would be where I would start Cody uh, I think that makes sense so uh, I'm going to move on. Question number nine, Carl T. Carl T. says, I think this whole blockchain thing is overblown. Isn't this just a database? I hate all the hype. Well, Carl, I hate all the hype too. Uh, but I'm not so sure that blockchain is all that hyped up. Uh, I think that we'll, we'll know that over the next decade. Um, sure. Uh, At at its core, blockchain is a database. Uh, It's a place to store transaction data and uh, all kinds of other data. Um, It's just that this database is a little different in that it's distributed and it has a strong set of cryptography uh, surrounding a lot of the the underpinnings and underlying mechanisms. Uh, But yeah, at its core, it is just a database. Now. One of the things, though, is the consensus algorithms. The consensus part of the storage mechanism of the database is not something that we've seen traditionally. It's very much more reminiscent of peer to peer networking uh, rather than sort of traditional database approaches. So um, My advice, Carl, dig into that. Take a look at the three primary areas of focus of a blockchain. That is uh, the sort of consensus network algorithm, um, the storage mechanism, which is the databases you're uh, talking about, and, of course, uh, the cryptographic functionality of a blockchain. Uh, I think those three things together... Yes, there are three things that we've used in the past independently. I think this new mashup of them um, into the blockchain, although I wouldn't necessarily say it's new, it came about in the 90s. um, But I would say this is a different approach perhaps than you're used to. So particularly if you think about it as a database, start to think about it as a distributed database and really read and learn more about that consensus uh, requirement of, of a blockchain, because I think that's, that's really the core difference between that and what I think of when somebody just says, isn't this thing just a database? So, uh, but I agree with you, Carl, I hate all the hype. I do. I hate all the hype, but I think there is some, there is some real stuff here, um, and some real substance once you get past some of the marketing hype and and vendors trying to sell you stuff. All right. Uh, Helena, Helena asks, if you were thinking about transitioning into either security or blockchain, which would you choose as a 25 year old just out of school? Ooh, boy, that's a tough question, right? So if I were 25 years old, Helena and I were was standing at the the precipice, getting ready to jump into my IT career, would I pick security or blockchain as my primary focus? Boy, um, given how much security is being pushed and commoditized as a business, I would have to say as a 25-year-old, knowing what I know now, I would probably embrace blockchain and look at blockchain as a key stepping stone for the first half of my career. Um, and I, I don't say that lightheartedly. I love information security and um, I'm going on my uh, into my what 30 something year in that space. Um, but I see that the, the market in and around information security is very noisy. It is very much getting commoditized and I think machine learning will further commoditize it. Um, I'll tell you one thing, I wouldn't be a 25 year old standing there thinking I was gonna get into pen testing. Um, I think pen testing and vulnerability assessment is gonna be one of the most quickly commoditized parts of the industry. Um, but I I do believe that there's going to be a tight commoditization and a pushback against what historically uh, has been a pretty open arena and an open market space in information security. So standing there, I would probably make the blockchain uh, piece. I see blockchain as being as significant as EDI perhaps even as significant as the development of the internet was to the dot-com era. Uh, I think that a lot of that's coming, be that, uh, be that topical or turbulent. Uh, I do believe that that is coming and is going to be a driving force. So if I were a 25 year old, it would be blockchain for me all the way. Hope that helps, Helena. All right. Last question. We're going to close after this. It's, uh, We've been talking now for almost 40 minutes. I appreciate you listening. But last question comes from Mark W. Mark says, why do you think hacking is a risk? Isn't blockchain supposed to be secure? Well, sure, blockchain is supposed to be secure. Lots of things are supposed to be secure. But as we've learned over the last, oh, umpteen years, uh, things that are supposed to be secure often aren't as secure as marketed. Now, that said, I don't think blockchain uh, you know, really changes the paradigm around information security and the threats of hacking too much simply because it's one mechanism in a lot of really complex business and IT operations. And so, uh, you can store a lot of things on blockchain. You can perform a lot of transactions on blockchain. And even if blockchain itself in isolation were completely secure as marketed, and maybe uh, maybe it was really uh, unhackable if you would allow that marketing term, which I absolutely don't believe is true, uh, to apply, you still have the... 900,000 other operational components that feed data into or read data out of blockchain based mechanisms that are probably still subject to the same types of hacking and information security and fraud and and other types of attacks uh, that have always applied to these systems throughout history. So. Mark, I agree with you, Uh, certainly the hype around blockchain is that it is secure and it's going to make everything better, Um, but I I don't necessarily believe that as my father used to tell me, never ask a barber if you need a haircut, Uh, I think this is the same here. Yes, blockchain is more secure perhaps than many other storage and transaction platforms However, uh, all of the standard IT and information security and data complexity still apply. So I think there's there's still a risk of hacking uh, there. All right. Thank you so much for joining me today for the State of Security podcast. This episode brought to you by MachineTruth.net. That's MachineTruth.net, the best and fastest and just most awesome way to do passive offline network inventory, network security analysis, and network mapping. Check that out, machinetruth.net. As always, thanks to the folks at Microsolved for making the podcast possible. And until next time, security peeps, I hope you stay safe out there. Take care.